can't help but sing your praise, that we can't help but live out of everything that you've done. You've given us everything that we need to be satisfied in you, Lord. Teach us and show us what that looks like because we get weary. And yet you still know that. You say that your grace is sufficient for us and in our weakness you are made strong, Lord. So help that to not be a thing of condemnation, but help us to worship you in our weakness, knowing that you have made you have made it good. It doesn't make sense to this world, Lord, but by your spirit we can see that truth and we can marvel in your wonder of, of your creation, Lord. Teach us and show us more and more each day what that looks like. Praise us in your name. Amen. All right, today we're going to continue on in our series in the book of John, uh, which has been entitled The Word. We've been in John chapter 19 uh, for the past number of sermons that we've done on this. Today we're going to actually be going into John chapter 20. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll have the verses up on the screen as well. Uh, but John 19 kind of wraps up with uh, Joseph of Arimathea going to Pontius Pilate, asking if he could take the body of Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus is also there, and they begin to prep Jesus for burial um, using up to 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes uh, and things like that, kind of preparing his body uh, and then leaving it over the Sabbath um, time and that was happening uh, in order to come back. And so what we're going to be doing is getting into verse 1, uh, again of chapter 20, which is after the Passover, after the Sabbath, uh, and let's pray. Now, Father, we come before you as we uh, come to your holy word. Uh, we pray and we are grateful that it is alive and active. And pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us this morning, uh, that it would bring these words deep into our hearts, uh, that you would guide my words, Father, uh, and that you would speak to each one of us individually and what you have for us this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verse uh, 1, it says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Uh, and so I just want to pause here really quick uh, and kind of like engage our imaginations uh, a little bit because uh, this morning, you know, with the time change and, and everything kind of falling back a little bit, depending on what time you get up, it might have been a little darker than, than you're used to seeing necessarily when you get up at that time. Um, however... Um, we could walk out, and if we were going to go someplace, what would we do? We'd hop in our car, right? You know, and turn on our headlights and, and just kind of drive down the road. Uh, and even doing that, like how many street lamps are kind of along the way that we're able to see even if we didn't turn on our, our lights, right? Uh, or, you know, so we, we can't really use that picture of it being dark. But then, then I thought about like when I would go camping. You know, you kind of go camping, you get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom or you hear a bump in the night or whatever it is, and you get out of the tent and we click our battery-powered lights on, right? Or maybe we have the headlamp that turns on and everywhere we look, like there's this beam of light. But uh, for Mary in this circumstance, it's uh, here she's a woman, she's alone while it was still dark uh, and then either carrying a torch or a lantern uh, and she's heading towards the tomb of Jesus 
um, after this very traumatic experience and watching him die, and most likely knowing that she's heading to a tomb that's guarded by at least two Roman soldiers. And so this is kind of where Mary's at, in the darkness, walking towards that, knowing that there's soldiers there that were sent to guard and seal the tomb, uh, but heading there uh, to continue the preparation of Jesus' body and, and, and just the emotion that she had in that moment of, of sorrow and mourning and pain. Uh, and so she's heading there in the dark. Uh, the, she then, in verse 1, continues on, she said, saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter, to the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Uh, again, this would be a shocking moment at that circumstance, uh, because we're looking at it with 2,000 years of Scripture and understanding he is risen. And he's risen indeed, and all that cool stuff that we say on, on Easter. But for her in that moment, in the dark, with a torch, looking for the soldiers, soldiers aren't to be found, the tomb is open and empty, and most likely the thought in her head was that the body had been stolen. In fact, this had been an increasing problem uh, during that time, and about 15 years after that, the emperor uh, actually gave, gave actually sentenced people that robbed graves uh, to the death penalty. Because this had been such a problem where people were going into graves and stealing. Uh, and again, there was about 75 pounds of, of myrrh and aloes that were applied to Jesus' body and his wrappings, uh, which still would have been valuable at that time. And so it became such a problem that eventually death penalty was given uh, to grave robbing. And so most likely Mary's coming to the tomb and, and either thinking one of two things. Uh, the soldiers have taken him and have left and you know, our religious rivals have stolen the body in order to, to do whatever. Uh, or somebody's come and, and robbed uh, the body here. And so she runs out, finds uh, Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Uh, we've talked about this throughout the entire book. This is John and the way John refers to himself. Uh, instead of putting his name into this, uh, goes and finds them. We don't know where the body is. And so these concerns of his body being stolen, we come into verse 3 here. It says, Peter and the other disciple, being John, went out, headed for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Uh, I just think this is a really neat inclusion within Scripture, right? Like, like what does this necessarily have to do with anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like there's obviously there's stuff in the, here with this, but John is simply saying, like, Peter and I started running. And I beat him. Right? Like, like that's what it's saying here. Uh, what's really interesting in this too is when you look at this, uh, Peter was probably the oldest of the apostles, of the disciples. He was the one that was married. He had a, a mother-in-law and, and a wife and everything like that. Uh, John and the other disciples were most likely uh, significantly younger than Peter. And, and so you almost have this envision of this younger guy against this mature man. And they're both running. And he's like, yeah, I beat him. Anyways. So this is, is John putting this into there. He outran Peter, got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. So, so John races there first. He gets there first. He looks in. Doesn't go in. Uh, possibly because of... Uh, the ritual uncleanness that might happen with entering into a grave or, or whatever it is. So there's John's personality beating Peter but not going in. 
Uh, then, verse 6, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered into the tomb. Well, I, and here's now Peter's personality, right? He, he's the one that jumps out of the boat in order to walk on water. He's the one that pulls out the sword uh, and cuts off the guy's ear as they're trying to arrest Jesus. He, he's the one that's more impetuous and impulsive. Uh, and he gets there after John and just walks right in. Sees the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, John, uh, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Uh, so there's a few things to bring out with these verses here. The first one is that the cloths were still there, uh, and in fact the head wrapping was folded up and put into a second place. Now this tells us a, a couple of different things. First of all, uh, it tells Peter and John this isn't a robbery. Because that 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh would have been mixed in within those cloth wrappings. Uh, and so their first sense would be like, okay, he wasn't robbed. And most likely the Pharisees didn't come and take him away because who unwraps a body and, and then carries the corpse and, and leaves everything else behind? And so they have some sense of something is happening, something is going on. Uh, but it still says they don't understand that he must rise from the dead. The second thing that we see from those wrappings still being there is that this is a very different resurrection compared to Lazarus. So if you look back into the story of Lazarus and, and Jesus going to the tomb and he tells them to roll away the stone. And so they roll away the stone and they're like, it's going to stink. And, and he sits there and he shouts out, you know, Lazarus, come out. And then Lazarus comes out like a mummy. Right? He comes out, and I'm just imagining walking stiff because mommy's in my mind. But, but he's still wrapped up in all of the burial clothes. This isn't what happened with Jesus. So, so Lazarus, he was dead. He was wrapped. And, and when he was resurrected, he got up and began to walk out of the grave with the, the wrapping still on. And those had to be unwrapped. Here's something very different it is happening with Jesus, where the wrappings have come off. And in fact, it's signifying that this is a new and different type of resurrection. Uh, and this is what is referred to in 1 Corinthians 15 when it talks about a resurrection to a glorified body. That, that when we die and we come into resurrection into heaven, that, that, that we're no longer this same body that we have, uh, but rather this particular physical body that we have here on earth is, is a seed that needs to die so that when resurrection happens, it becomes a, a new glorified spiritual type body, uh, which gives us great hope because all the aches and pains or missing limbs or whatever else happens to us while we're here on earth isn't what we're stuck with for all of eternity. Uh, but Jesus being the first among brothers raised from the dead uh, was also the one that showed that there's going to be a different type uh, of body that was happening. Uh, and again, you can look that up in 1 Corinthians 15 if you want to get into that more. But because of these different things, it's why it says John or the other disciple saw and believed. He saw and his faith was grown. That word believed is pastuo, uh, which also can be used for that absolute trust, that faith. But he believed because he was recognizing this isn't a robbery. And if it's not a robbery and he was raised from the dead, this is different than Lazarus. 
because John would have been there and seen Lazarus come out. And so he's seeing that this is something uh, that is significantly different. However, not fully understanding what do John and Peter then do. They head home. Right? They're like, okay, something's up. Let's go home. But Mary, in verse 11, says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stopped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels sitting in white, uh, in white, sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other, uh, at his, where the feet would have been. And so here, Mary is now experiencing and, and getting things from God that the other two are missing out because they left and they went home. And she's seeing these angels there. Um, and it's just this signifying work that heaven's doing something. But again, it's not just Jesus got up and walked out, that, that um, he had been stolen, but rather God's at work here and seeing these angels. And, and even this description, John very specifically saying there's one angel uh, where the head would have been and there's one angel where the feet would have been. Now even him putting these specific words into this passage uh, might bring a historical context uh, to the disciples at that time and it brings a context to our mind as well. Uh, when it comes to the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so the Ark that was built, that was carried around by the nation of Israel from place to place, and then they would build a big tent in the tabernacle, and they would have the, the Holy of Holies. Uh, and here's the Ark of the Covenant that's in that. And within the Ark of the Covenant would have been the law and the tablets and, and things like that. So you have the Ark of the Covenant. As it was built, there was a description that, that on top of the Ark, there was meant to be two angels. And, and these two angels were supposed to be placed about five to six feet apart from one another. And the place in between these two things uh, would have been called the mercy seat. And it was put into the Holy of Holies, and, and this symbolized where God would deal with sins. And once a year what would happen is the priest would bring in a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies in order to offer up that sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel uh, to cover the sins that they weren't aware of or the sins that they hadn't dealt with with personal sacrifices throughout the year. And that the symbolization of those sins being forgiven. And, and so this historical context might be bringing into mind uh, for the readers of John or certainly for us that these angels are placed about the same distance apart over the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant that they were placed within the tomb of Jesus where then he was resurrected. Again, the mercy seat was this symbolization of where God dealt with sin, where the sacrifice was made, and now these angels, same distance apart, are sitting over the place where Jesus was resurrected where the actual sin of mankind has been redeemed and dealt with, where the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus as that, that perfect lamb was offered up for our sins. And, and again, this closing of God's foreshadowing and prophecy and his plan that was put into design and symbolized with the Ark of the Covenant is now completed as Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. 